Hey, good morning, Hope Point. Man, 8.30 service, alive and active. Come on, give yourselves a hand. You are here. If you're joining us online, welcome to Hope Point, man. I'm thrilled because uh, this is all about making room at the table. And uh, I just believe that God is going to do incredible things in and through our church. I'm amazed at what he's doing locally and in missions. And um, all of my... All of my men, October 1st, we're not competing with the ladies because they're crushing it. They're years ahead, but we're going to have an amazing event. I hope that you sign up online. Don't wait and don't hesitate. We've got an amazing speaker. Travis Jones from Motivation Church is going to be bringing the word. And for those of you um, who are in a connect group, yeah, this is important. If you're not in one, it's important that we get in one. Why? Because of discipleship. Always be growing, church. There's still time. There's a table in the lobby. You can scan the QR code. We believe in life and community. And um, you want to be in community. The Bible says two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Broken. So Tim and Tasha Crowther are doing one called Hearing God. I love that couple. They're amazing. John and Nancy Foster, amazing couple. Doing Monday night prayer. Come on. The heart of God is in prayer. There's another called The Treasure Principle by Randy and Sarah Rocamp. Phenomenal if you want to learn God's economy. Hope Hikes, which is amazing. Aaron's, I think, doing that one. So a lot of different groups. Biblical Doctrine by Charlie Bird. Love that guy. Has so much to offer. Been in our church 35 years. That's just a few groups. There's 92. Find a group. I'm sure there's one that fits for you. And just make the time. It's important. You go with that. Eight of you. You good with that? Come on. That's something that we need to dedicate ourselves to. I teach groups, believe in them. So get in one. They're, they're so valuable to our growth in God's kingdom. You can have an experience, but you also need to have information. Both are important. And so discipleship is critical. If you would just bow your heads with me, we're going to go to God in prayer. Man, I am uh, really excited about this word today. Father God, we thank you that you're in this room. Holy Spirit, breath of God, come from the four winds and breathe on the embers of our soul. God, the embers of our spirit, the embers of our church. God, light into flame, Father, a passion for you, for your word, for our community. Light our community up with the gospel. Pour out your spirit. Father God, come this moment. Holy Spirit, we honor you in this place. Glory of God, fill your house. We want to be changed when we leave this place. We thank you that your presence is here. Where two or three are gathered, there you are. Everything we need, you have. So we honor you and your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said? If you're new to church, amen means I agree, so let it be. Uh, I want to talk to you today about the concept of, uh, the, the title of this message is, Want a Drink. Want a Drink. I don't know about you, but uh, God wants you refreshed in his spirit. He wants you refreshed in him. And the gospel and the spirit are the refreshing power of God. And so uh, I was thinking about the concept of water because our text is going to be Ezekiel 47 today. Uh, It's vital for every known form of life, water, but it doesn't provide food, energy or organic nutrients. It exists on earth in three different states. 
And what's amazing to me is about 71% of our earth is covered with water, but only 2% is available to drink. 1% is available for us to drink because the rest is in glaciers. If you think about this, over 80% of the disease in all developing countries is related to poor drinking water. 4,500 children die every day from preventable diseases because of lack of clean water. And when you are born, you have 78% of your body is contained by water. Right now, as an adult, 60% of your body is water. And so I want to talk to you today about a river, the river of God. The river of the gospel, the river of the spirit. And I just believe that God wants to do something awesome in our church as it relates to a new encounter with his presence and his spirit. But a river has banks. That means that it's defined. It's got defined boundaries. Uh, A river brings life wherever it goes. They're always flowing and they have varying depths. If you go to the James, you can be in four foot of water, 15 foot of water in one step. It's that there's varying depths to the river. They have immense power. If you've ever been to uh, the, the Grand Canyon and looked at the Colorado River, how it shapes and forms rock. They have the ability to move heavy things with ease. Ships are traveled on them that weigh thousands of tons because of water. There's energy that moves through it. We harness the power of water to build hydroelectric dams that give electricity to whole cities. I remember uh, many years ago, uh, I was asked to do a youth camp. I was a youth pastor here at our church, and it was a church. Uh, there were four churches coming together, one from Kentucky, one from Alabama, a couple others. And um, we were meeting uh, in, in eastern Tennessee, uh, right where North Carolina and Alabama and uh, Tennessee come together right there. All these different points come together. You could see three states from where we were. And there's this river that runs through it called the Ocoee, and they have uh, level four and level five rapids, and so the guides were like, hey, we should, we should, we should whitewater raft, and I was all up for it. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I'm up for an adventure, and um, it, it's, this river is where they put boulders in this river to make it run faster. It's where the, when uh, Atlanta housed the 96 Olympics, hosted the 96 Olympics, that's where all of the whitewater rafters went to compete. And so I, I thought to my, they were like, well, don't fall out of the boat because it's really freezing cold water. You can get hypothermia and all these things. And I'm like, this does not seem like a good idea for like 100 kids down the river, right? Level four, level five rapids. But, but we got in a boat, me and the guy that was with me and about eight other people. And the pastors that were hosting us were in the back of the boat. There's a gentleman and his wife, uh, probably in their 50s at the time. And um, they, were, they were in the back and then there were a bunch of people in and they, they all told you, you know, hey, watch your paddle because water will kick up and knock your teeth out. I mean, there's all these different things. I'm like, this sounds so much fun. So we get down there and, and I mean, you know, all you see is just white water. I mean, we're, we're rolling. And the guide says, hey, we're in a little patch of, 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 of water here, uh, calm water. Uh, does anybody want to ride the bull? And I was like, what? He said, I was in the front. He says, do you want to ride the bull? And I said, uh, what does that mean? There's no bull. We're in the river. <laughs> you know, he said, well, there's a knot on the end of this raft. And uh, if you hold on to it, you can ride through the white water on the front. If you fall off, you know, just let it take you. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, just, just put your feet up and go with it. You can't fight it. You can't fight the river. And I was like, 
thinking to myself, I got to preach four or five times this week. What should I do? I was like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Let's ride the bull. So I get on the front of this thing. And, and like, as soon as we do, there's like this, this, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, they, all the rapids have names. They're like, this one's called devil's armpit, you know? And I'm like, what? And it's like level five rapid. And four rapid and it's they only go to level five and so like I'm riding this thing and all I see is just like water like the sky is blacked out it's just water and I'm like Lord I'm gonna fall and die in Eastern Tennessee and I'm trying to serve you preserve my life and I'm riding this thing and I'm like scared to death I'm holding on for dear life and 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 I realized that that I was so focused on holding on to the raft that I forgot that I just forgot how I was sitting on this raft. And I mean, I'm like sitting on it and I make it and I'm doing great. And um, and, and I think, man, this is amazing. But I felt like my 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 swim trunks and, and they were they were lower than they should have been. <laughs> and I, I did. I. I thought this is probably not good, but I can't do anything about it. Like I'm sitting on this raft and, and I'm just holding on because I'm not falling in this river. This guy is a college intern. He's not saving me. You know, it's one of those deals. And so, so, so I'm just holding on and I get out and I make it okay. And, and my assistant gets up and he rides and a white water just hits him and just floors him right into the back of the boat. And I'm like, well, I made it. You didn't. What's up, dude? So, and, you know, I started talking trash to him and we get through and I get out and all everybody gets out and the one pastor is missing like teeth because somebody had hit his paddle or whatever. He's going to the emergency room. Another guy. There's all these catastrophes. And the pastor that's in the back of my boat, he says, uh, brother Jonathan, he kind of has a rasp in his voice. You know who I'm talking about. He says, uh, you're really holding on to that rap pretty good. Uh, I said, yeah, I was. He said, I think you lost your armor about halfway down. Like, what do you mean? He's like, you were mooning me and my wife the whole time, brother. Not the best impression to make with a guest pastor. And I, I said, pastor, I'm sorry. I was so focused about holding on. I didn't really care who saw what. I wasn't dying on that river. And he started laughing eight years later. Uh, I'm preaching in his church in Kentucky, and he says, remember that raft ride? And I'm like, yeah, remember it. I wish you'd forget it. When you're in the river, it has control. You don't. That's important. That's important. And so, so when you think about this, I want you to think about the fact that in Ezekiel, part of the thing to the river is that God leads it. I want you to hear that God leads. Listen to what the Bible says in Ezekiel 47 if you're there. The man brought me to the entrance of the temple. Come on. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. Because the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was waist deep. He measured off yet another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. I've been there because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? 
Who is the man? Now, Ezekiel is seeing this in Babylon in a land of captivity, and he's seeing what God, he's seeing God's heart and his desire. It may be the most difficult time in his life. And you might be going through a difficult time today. I want you to see God's heart and his desire and his plans for what he wants to do. Because he's showing him a temple that is no longer ransacked, but a temple that is bright and glorious and filled with his presence. And there's a, te- and there's a river coming out of it. There's a river coming out of it. Now, who's the man? It says, the man brought me, then he brought me. The man went eastward, the man went northward. God's the man. I'm not the man. You're not the man. He's the man. One of the first things that we have to recognize is who is in control. You cannot get past this inevitability. God is in control. It is not about me. It is not about my gifting, my intellect, my ability, my righteousness. A lot of us rolled rolled in past go, but some of us didn't realize who controls the outcome of the dice. Hear me. You remember that game, Monopoly. You roll the dice, you pass, go. You collect $200. But we don't realize that God is the one who controls the dice. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Let let me give you the NLT version, the modern version, uh, which it says, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Does that that make it simple for you? Who is in control? Our control is an illusion. When you get in the river of God, He is the one that's in control. And He's the best one that's in control. And here's the thing. He says He measured off all of these cubits. Sometimes you will not know till you go. I was preaching at a friend's church a couple weeks ago in Mexico, uh, in in Puebla. And um, before... After we finished all the services, uh, the next day he had to take us back to Mexico City to fly out. And, he, and we said, hey, let's stop at Teotihuacan, which was the Aztec capital. It means land of the gods. It's a huge place uh, with pyramids, really tall pyramids. And they have these caverns. And, and um, you know, we, we decided, let's go to the caverns. You can see some cool stuff, you know. And, but, but, but nothing looks official in Mexico. It all looks like um, very loosey, like there's no inspections for things and, and things like that, if you know what I mean. And, and so this lady takes us down into this cave and all of a sudden uh, I start to get nervous. And she says um, in Spanish, because she doesn't speak English, uh, we, have, we have the pastors interpreting for us and I speak some Spanish so I, I kind of, I, I could pick up on the gist I knew what she was saying and I didn't like it. She said, don't pull the rocks or they all might fall. This is not Luray Caverns. It's old, old caves. And I looked at the pastor and I said, I'm out. I'm out. She said, you got to crawl and you got to duck in some places. And I'm like, whatever's back there is not worth seeing. I mean, when's the last time this thing had an inspection? I'm going through it going, man, it looks like we went in somebody's backyard, you know. And, and the guy that's with me, Daniel, is with me. He's like, yeah, I don't know about this. And, and, and she says, no, 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 don't worry. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wire. If you get lost, you can follow the wire. I want you to remember that. So we go in this cave and I'm like, Daniel, I, 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 if the moment I can't see light, I'm done. I'm out. 
you can find your own way home. And, and he said, no, we're going to be okay. Let's just follow her. So I said, okay. So I'm getting over my, 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 this, this image. Yeah, I don't know if you don't like tight, dark spaces, but it's one of them deals. And, um, and, and so I thought, okay, we're going to trust this lady and we're going to go. And so we go and we go back into this cave and about halfway back, and it's, it's 150 meters back, so it's a long ways. Uh, the, 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 the wire is gone. And I notice it, and Daniel notices it, and we're in the dark, and, and we got our little light on from our phone, because there ain't no lights in there. That's how they expect you to find your way, is the light on your phone. Anyway, I digress. It, it stopped, so I'm like, well, you know, we're done. We're, we're in trouble. Uh, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we both knew, like, they forgot to string it all the way back. And so... So we, we keep going, and, and, and we go to all these cool places, and we finally end up here. Do you have that picture? We end up in this place where light is shining through the cave, and you can see some cool things, and it was really fun and all of that. But the point is, I would have never known until I went. And part of the journey with Jesus is you will not know until you go. You can't know you're going to Figure out, it feels like you're stumbling around in the dark. At some point, you're going to feel like you've lost all control. And for somebody like me that plans a lot of things out, I like control and I like to project outcomes and I like to know what's happening. And at the end of the day, I felt helpless and useless and I felt like I, I, it's pitch black. I don't know if I can find my way back. I want you to know that if God is your guide and you recognize that you've given up control to Him then he will always get you to the light. Always. And part of the thing that you have to realize is you won't know till you go. You have to follow the word and follow the spirit because wherever the river flows, the life of God goes. Hear me. There's something about going, God, what do you want to do in this situation? And you have to invest in little things. I want you to hear that. Invest in little things in your walk with Jesus. If you think about Joshua in the battle of Jericho, the wall didn't fall at six times. It fell at seven. Elijah had to pray seven times before he saw a, hand, a cloud as big as a man's hand. That ain't real big. Are you hearing me? But the the potential of it and the promise of it brought something amazing. The widow's might, not a lot. We still talk about it to this day. Little things. Jesus says in Luke 16, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. Little things are always a test of the promise of larger things. If you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you're untrustly with worldly wealth, how can God entrust you with the true riches of the kingdom? Be willing to let God lead you and show you what is necessary. Don't fight him on it. Notice little things that he's doing in your life. The stream wasn't big at first. It was a trickle. It was just a trickle coming out of the, out of the altar, out of the south, and then towards the east. It was just small. It wasn't big at first. It could have been overlooked. How often do we overlook the important due to its size? Significance is not about size. That's why Zechariah says to Zerubbabel when he's rebuilding the temple, the very vision that Ezekiel has of the temple being rebuilt, Zerubbabel is there building it in Zechariah. And everybody's frustrated. They're all going, hey, we came back, we got nothing, this doesn't even look like much. And God speaks to him and says, 
The hands of Zerubbabel laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Come on, God not only called you to start a work, he called you to finish one. Are you with me? He called you not only to start something, but to finish it. He says, then you'll know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small beginnings? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. There's a river flowing and it's just a trickle. But the trickle turns into a stream. The stream turns into a torrent, a mighty river that no one can cross. God often wants to do something big in your life. And many times we subvert it because we gave up on how small it was. The laying of the foundation didn't seem like much, but God often does things in subtlety. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah's talking about Jesus who would come. He says, he, he, Jesus, grew up before him, God, like a tender shoot, uh, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have any beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus sat alone at the lunch table. Here's what I'm trying to get to you. Everybody overlooks small and significant things. Many of us are looking for a horse when he came on a donkey. Are you with me? Don't look for a horse when he's on a donkey. You're looking at the big thing. Look at what God's doing on the small thing. Are you following me? There's a small thing that you can sow in. There's a small thing that you can invest in. Every time you take control of your thought life and say, the peace that passes understanding is going to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, God does something. Every time you say, God, I trust you with my tithe and my 10%, and I believe that you are more than sufficient to meet all my needs according to your riches and glory that is in Christ Jesus. Every time you extend forgiveness to somebody that needs it, you sow a seed of an abundant and generous heart every single time time you sow into a small thing God will show himself faithful and entrust you with a bigger thing but don't overlook what he's doing in the moment because Ezekiel could have said it's just a trickle why am I following that there's not always a direct route to where you want to go listen some of you think you should have been here by now and should have been there by now and whatever else and you've done the calculus on the time frame of your life and the goals and seasons that you should have had and you should have been. But guess what? If, Dave, if God can take David and make him the greatest king in all of Israel, even though he had to wait till he was 30 years old, he got anointed at 14, but he didn't get there till he was 30 and he just kept taking step back after step back after step back, God can promote you quickly. If you're faithful to be diligent in hard times and stick to his word in times of travail and adversity. Preaching myself happy today. There's not always a direct root. The Bible says that the man, see some of us answers we're looking for, they're back. The, man, the Bible says that the man took Ezekiel back 
He took him back. Why are we going back out of the north gate? The east gate, listen, if the river was flowing to the east, why was the east gate shut? Why was the east gate shut? The north gate was always the gate of disrepute. The north gate was where they felt like all their enemies came from. The north in biblical, uh, in, in biblical understanding was a place that nobody wants. If you ever read all the, all of the, all of the uh, prophets talk about Israel's enemies coming from the north. They'll come out of the north. They'll come out of the north. The north gate was always a place that nobody wanted to look at. How come God deals with the north gate first? Could it be that, that he knows what will hold you back before you can even get to the river and he didn't go through the east, he went in, through the north and started to deal with some things there first? If it's me and my understanding, I'd say, let's go through the east. That's where the gates flow. That's where the, that's where the river's flowing. That's the most direct route, God. Oh, but wait a minute. We forgot that I had to realize from the start that I wasn't leading. I was following because I'm not the man. Are you with me? There's something about the journey that God understands that we do not. There's not always a direct route. See, Ezekiel's leading in a time of cruelty and a time of unfaithfulness and a time of punishment. And God is calling his people back, showing them a picture of restoration in the midst of his judgment and their affliction. I love that God does that. He's like, you're going through it and I'm putting you through it and you're being afflicted. But guess what? I'm going to show you a picture of what the ultimate goal of all of this is for. What is the ultimate goal of all of this? Your good and my glory. It's hard to sometimes see the trickle, that small work of God in the midst of despair. But be willing to allow him to lead and go to his house and let him show you what he wants to. Then you might be able to see what he's going to do. Because the water, Jerusalem's one of the only cities in the ancient Near East, one of the great cities that is not built on a river. It's not built on a river. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because the Spirit of God is the river. The Spirit of God is the river. God knew that he would put a river there. If you think about it, the water is the gospel. The water is the spirit. If you think about the gospel, the gospel moves. It's, it's supposed to spread and grow. The waters of the sanctuary are running waters. The gospel grows. The gospel, when it was first preached, was small. But then God had added 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Then uh, Peter and J John went to the temple and he added another 4,000. In just a few chapters, God's got 7,000 there right then in that city in Jerusalem. The gospel started small with 120. It started small with 12, but then God began to grow it and multiply it. And as you go along, the river grows and it flows and it gets bigger and it gets bigger. The river was never just meant for you to play in. The river was never just meant for us to boat on. The river was meant to go, and everywhere it went, it brought life. The gospel church was small in its beginnings. Little brook, but man, did it get big. If you think about this, recalling the words of Jesus in Acts 5.20, the disciple says, Go stand in the temple courts, Jesus told us, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Come on. You know how I know that people have been in a river? When they can know how to refresh others from it. 
That's how I know I've been in a river. When, I, when, when people around me get blessed because of the overflow out of my life. If people around you are connecting to Christ, you know you've been in a river. The Bible says that they knew they had been with Jesus because they were unlearned men, but man, they sounded so wise. When God's power begins to flow through your life, it's undeniable that people will recognize it. I know that you've been with Jesus if you're refreshing everybody else around you. The river was not just to play in. Zechariah says, on that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and impurity. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, want a drink? Come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without, without hunt, money and without cost. I love this one. Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Joel 3.18, I love this. Joel is prophesying about Jesus and what would happen. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine. The hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. Think about that for a minute. Joel is prophesying about what God is showing Ezekiel and it happens in the time of Jesus and it's still happening. See, the gospel purifies the spirit. I love this about Jesus. In John 7, 37, he says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, anybody thirsty here today? Or you don't realize you dried out and need a drink. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Are you with me? The, the river is the gospel, but the river is the spirit, and the spirit and the word always work together. That's why they were on opposite sides of the tabernacle. When you went in, you had the bread, which represents the word. You had the lampstand, which represents the spirit. They go together. If you have all spirit and no word, you're going to be flaky as all get out. If you have all word and no spirit, you'll be dried out as all get out. But if you have both, you've got the power of God flowing through your life. Why am I happier about this than you? Don't do this trying to control the river. Let the river control you. Man, that's a good word. And it's a progressive work, church. Not everybody is at the same place, and that's okay. The man did not measure off 4,000 cupids all at once. He didn't go, all right, deep into the pool. And that's one mistake that a lot of Christians make. And it freaks unsaved people out. Because they go, what? what? I have no language for this. I have no context for this. I have no idea. I don't even know where I'm at with Jesus right now. I don't even know if Jesus exists. You jump in a river. I ain't ready to do that. He measured off 1,000 cubits and what? Okay, okay. Then he measured off a thousand. And, and here's what I want to say. It's progressive. For, think about this for a minute. 
First Corinthians, I'll read this to you. First Peter 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may what? Grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Some people haven't tasted so they don't understand why you're so crazy about Jesus. Don't dive in 4,000 feet water. you got to go out 1,000 cubits and get in ankle deep water. Intake and timing are important. You have to know the right flow. Hear me. When When the Allies first liberated the Holocaust survivors from the camps, they fed them and many of them died right away. Think about that. They made it through all that pain and suffering only to die at the hands of their liberators. You know why? They could not digest the food. They were that malnourished. It takes a lot of energy to digest something. That's why Jesus told the disciples, I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But when He comes, the Spirit of truth, He will lead and guide you into all truth. There are some weights that you and I can put on people that they are not ready to bear. They ain't ready to hear everything you know. Are you with me? You got to know the right timing and the right intake. And even God, with Ezekiel a prophet, knew how to go, Hey, you ain't ready to handle all this, so I'm going to just take you out a thousand cubits. I'm going to take you out a thousand cubits. Come on. Everybody knows you jerked the rod too hard, you lost the fish. The ankles, got an ankle deep water, speaks to the river influencing your walk, your lifestyle. It's the first thing that happens when you encounter Christ. It's the first thing that happens when you encounter the Holy Spirit. He begins to change how you operate. Why? Because you see a different prize. Why? Because you know that you know that you know that the God breather, the star breather, the one who breathed everything into existence, light at 192,000 miles a second, came out of his mouth and created everything and he wants to connect with you. All of a sudden, you know that eternity is real and you know that what's on this planet is not the only thing that you're going to answer for. That it's not the only thing you're going to experience. That death is just a door. So your lifestyle changes because he changed you. Ankle deep water. I'm walking different. Not even on the same path. I'm not even with the same people. Then the knees. The knees speaks to what you carry. Right? The knees are meant to be prayed on. What's my role? What's God's role? Well, prayer will help you delineate and discern what he meant for you to carry and what he meant to carry. Waist deep, all about reproduction. What is reproduced out of my life? What is the fruit of my life? When the gospel comes and the spirit comes, there's a fruit that changes in my life. I have different kinds of fruit now. Then overwhelming. I love this. For another thousand cubits, man, I'm going. I was overwhelmed. There was a river that I could not cross. The Holy Spirit, the gospel, influences and overwhelms our entire life. God takes over completely. He even takes over through the Holy Spirit our speech. He gives us a heavenly prayer language. 
That's why Luke 12, Jesus says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Notice how he said the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time. Some of us are looking for provision before we get there. God doesn't bring answers until he deems we need them at the proper time, in the fullness of time. And there's a process of sanctification. Habakkuk says the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. See, God doesn't just lead, he restores. Ezekiel 6 says, Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures, come on, will live wherever the river flows. There'll be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Hear me, where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglim, where they will be places for spreading nets. Then the fish will be of many kinds, like fish of the great sea, but swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. There's some people that will never receive the gospel or the freshness of God. But the river has banks. It's, it's not destructive. It's focused and productive. You know, Jerusalem's 2,500 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea is 1,279 feet below sea level. That's a 3,800-foot drop. Think of how the water is rushing down the hills. The torrent that it creates. You know what's interesting? The sea that it's impacting is the same one that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in. It was a salt sea because of the sulfur that fell from heaven. I want you to think about that. Even that place is restored. Think about it for a minute. Even the waters there are restored. You know what that tells me? That it doesn't matter how far away you are from the Lord. You get a taste of that water you get a taste of that spirit. The worst things that have ever been done can be cleansed in an instant with Jesus Christ. With the spirit of almighty God. Even the water from the temple freshed, refreshed the Dead Sea. And the places of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about that. Think about it. My gosh, man, that's so awful and all. It goes down all of these different places because God provides. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the banks of the river. Their leaves don't wither. Their fruit doesn't fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to, through them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. You think about trees. Blessed is the man, right? Whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prosper. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season. Think about it. It's a picture of heaven. The Bible says in Revelation, what? On each side of the river, there's a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You know what's interesting about leaves? They take everything we can't breathe that's toxic to us. Carbon dioxide and exchange it for oxygen, fresh air. That water literally defies gravity to get to those leaves. Think about it. 
the water of God will defy the natural laws that we adhere to to bring life and refreshing and fresh air not only to us but to all those around us what do you think God's saying there that you are to be able to take what the world has to offer and bring a miraculous change into something fresh something life-giving church if we're going to fill every seat so many times we're going to need to know that the river of God is needed and that we are commissioned our mission is the commission to preach the gospel that the spirit of God has to come there will never be any fruit without a root hear me now the trees that don't bear fruit are not connected to the water they don't have any root to them if you think about what Jeremiah says he said it does not fear when heat comes its leaves are always green it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit why He will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. You can be right by the river and still die if you don't have roots that go into the water. Are you hearing me today? You can be in church and dead, twice plucked up, dried up by the root because you never knew how to tap into the water. Get some roots and you'll bear some fruit. Roots are commitment and dedication to where God has called you to be, to planting in His house. Are you with me today? Come on, say no root, no fruit. Come on, I want you to bear fruit today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to lead you in a prayer. I want our prayer team to come up. Whatever you have need of, God is here to meet. Where the river flows, the life of God goes. I just want to speak to anybody online or in this church today that has not known the abundant life that Jesus offers. We have sin and Jesus is the antidote for it. Right now, I want to invite you to say a prayer with me that will start a relationship with him. As you do, as you do, at the end of that prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and acknowledge it, and we're going to celebrate with you together. But that prayer is the start of a relationship. It's the forgiveness of sin, but it's also a commitment to follow God. And in doing so, abundant and eternal life are yours. The answer is Jesus. Church, let's all pray together. Say, dear God, I come to you today, and I give you my life. I make you my Lord and Savior, Jesus. I thank you for paying a price I couldn't when you went to the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I turn from it and I turn to you. I thank you for rising again and giving me abundant eternal life. I'm all in. I'll serve you, Jesus, all my days. Thank you for saving me today, giving me a new start. In Jesus' name.